it's good to uh, again be not only in the pulpit, but uh, I hope that you all are following the joy of being in the house of the Lord today. I did want to bring to your attention that we did receive uh, another announcement. This one is from Brother Hilly, uh, who is, uh, of course, as we know, returned back to the pulpit. And they're going to have the sacrifice of Thanksgiving services. And uh, I think it's just going to be wonderful. This is at the Bible Baptist Church down in Plant City, Florida. And uh, Plant City, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but that's the home of uh, the Strawberry Festival that we have every year. I've been there once before, but I think it's wonderful that they're going to do a celebration. Now, there is a lot more that I can say. However, the dates on that is going to be October the 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, once again, uh, if we drove down or if anybody wanted to go down, there is the uh, time offerings of what each one of the services are going to be. And uh, the services will start at 10 o'clock every day. So, again, I don't know what's going on. I will tell you that if you're interested, let me know. I'll give more information as time permits. There is a nice little cover letter that goes with this as well and things that Brother Hilly enjoys. And believe it or not, uh, he loves having it to where people send him cards. You know, let him know that we're still praying for him and the recovery that he has. Um, also, he loves, according to this, uh, Nate really enjoys getting cards, letters in the mail. He can read them over and over, and he can look at them whenever he wants. He, oh, he isn't always able to take a phone call, but these letters are such an encouragement. Some of his favorites are worksheets or coloring pages of Sunday school classes. So, you know, we'll got, kind of remember that as well. And... Uh, we're just going to see what we can do. And uh, again, I just want to bring that to your attention. Greg brought that to me today. And uh, I hope that everyone will enjoy it. Well, let's take our Bibles. We're going to go into a search for the book of Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, however you want to take a look at it. I always heard it referred to as Habakkuk. Uh, this, if you're having trouble finding it, it's right after Nathan. If that helps you out any, it's right after Micah. If you can't find that, I'm not going to help you anymore. But anyway, it's right there. Uh, if you have a strong concordance like I do, it's on page 989. All right, we'll just kind of go from there. So we're going to go to chapter 1 of Habakkuk, uh, or Habakkuk, or however you want to pronounce it. We'll, when we get to heaven, we'll ask him, how, do we, how does he pronounce it? And he'll go redeemed. But anyway, the reality is, is that we want to look at the 12 verses, that, or 17 verses that are in this chapter. And I want us to focus upon the things of God from the standpoint of viewing. God cannot look upon iniquity is what I've titled this today. God cannot look upon iniquity. And notice what it says beginning in verse 1. The burden which he, which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and how will thou not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not say. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and for violence are before me, and there are there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteousness, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold, ye among, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. For, lo, I raise up, my, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty 
na uh, nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity and shall proceed them of themselves. Their horses are swifter than the leopards, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come up from afar. They shall fly as the eagle uh, that hasteth to eat. They shall come for all violence. Their faces shall sub up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity of the sand. They shall scoff at the kings, and the princes uh, shall be as scorn among them. They shall divide every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind charge, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power and his God. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. We, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for, corrupt, for correction. Thou art pure eyes than to uh, behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them that shall dread treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he. Now let's look at verse 13 again. Thou art pure, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Now I want you to look at that verse. And canst not look on iniquity. This is God in his greatest power. And when I was preparing this message, or as I was thinking about it, it was upon verse 13 that I was thinking about. How is it that God can allow myself to be redeemed and yet he can't look upon me. Not in my iniquity, not in my sins, not as the person that I am. What is it that has to occur over me, in essence, for me to be able to understand the willpower of God? And this is the area that I want us to, to look at today. Why do we see so many different things that are of necessity? Many years ago, I had this illustration that was given, and I never understood it. You see, I used to work in the airline industry many years ago. I worked with flight simulators, and I got to fly in the cockpit of uh, many airplanes. I also had the understanding of how to fly, and I knew how to uh, fly fighter jets, and I knew how to fly cargo airplanes, and so on and so forth. Well, I recall one time that I was looking at all the instruments, and all the instruments were red. And I, asked the, and I asked the pilot, I said, why do we have red instruments? And here was something that was very interesting. He said, these were designed for flashes of lightning. He said, do you realize that when the lightning strikes, all the instruments will turn white? He said, the, the brightness of red will cause it to turn white, and you can see the instruments for yourself. I had never known that all my life, yet I had understood that every instrument was red. And so I thought about that for a moment. The brightness and the intensity that God shines upon us would consume us. But because of the blood of Christ, he can see us. Now think about that for a moment. Because of the blood of Christ, we are evident and he sees us. Not because he sees our sins. He cannot look upon sin. But he can see the inevitable and in that he sees the righteousness of Christ in me because of him 
who died for me. So today as we look at this, I want us to look upon why God can't look upon iniquity and the things that we see that are clearly in the scriptures. Let's go to him in prayer. Again, Father, I come to you waiting upon you for uh, the, the ability and the power to preach. Lord, I can say about anything I want and that's the, the, the flaw of this message is that I can speak as I want. But Lord, when I really seek your favor, I can't preach as I want, but I speak because you would have me to speak. Let me wait upon you, Lord. Let me have patience upon you, Lord. Help me, Father, to only preach those words that you would have me to deliver today, whether how long or how short. Help me to know the truth of the things that you give us. Help us, dear Father, to, to trust in you and to relieve, be relieved because of what you have given. Now help me, Father, to preach the word. Let it be a powerful message that comes from you, not from me. Use this unworthy vessel. Forgive me of my unrighteousness. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the iniquities that I've caused. And help me, Father, to be the better man of God in all that I say and do. So guide and bless, and I will rejoice in your name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you all enjoy history as I do, but I want to share something with you about the idea of get up, put up, shut up, sit down. I know that doesn't sound like the message we want to have. You know, when we get up to the pulpit, we should preach the Word of God. So we get up, we put up, we present the word as it's been laid, laid upon our heart, as God would deliver it, and then we sit down and we wait for the outcome. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Winston Churchill. This was after World War II, and he'd already been relieved from public office, and he was invited to come and to preach or to deliver the eulogy to a, uh, a group of young men that were graduating. And so everyone was in great anticipation of this great orator, this great man who was going to stand up, this great man who had delivered and had encouraged the English people never to give up during their time of crisis. Well, when it came time for him to speak, he made his way to the podium, and he looked across the people, and there was a hush that went in, and his, his sermon lasted less than a minute. His message was, Never give up, never give up, young men, never give up. And when he finished with that particular statement, he sat down, and there was a thunderous applause. It began with... And pretty soon the whole group of people stood up as they were honoring what this man said because it sunk in. It was very small in message, but it had a very capable answer. And I wonder about ourselves. Sometimes we love it when we, we speak a lot. That doesn't mean anything. Not to God. I mean, how simple can be one phrase, one song? I don't know how many of you all know this, but the one song that we sang today, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. You know, in itself, it has a tremendous message. But when you put it behind someone who wants to stand up for God and they sing it aloud, it has much more. 
I think I've used the example before how that there was this one man who just literally had commanded great audiences to come in and hear him speak. And as he began to come in, he would defy God and he would say, I challenge anybody. With the little lady when he had finished. And she stood up and she began singing, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. And the next thing you know, someone stood up with him. And then someone else stood up. And then someone else stood up. And before you know it, the whole... His legs. It isn't a matter of how many people speak, but what we say has the greatest value. Now, all that comes into place when I think about what Habakkuk wrote here in this message. He is a very difficult person for me to read. And yet, if I want to understand what he has written, I have to realize that this man is giving a strong lament. Look what he says in verse 2. Oh Lord, how... swiftly coming into Israel. And so he understood that there was a limited time to be able to present the Word of God. And yet, no matter how much he presented it, no took down one king, put another one in his place, and took that king down, and afterwards they all fled into, or they were all carried away into captivity. Why did that occur? Because in reality, violence had stayed in its course. I've oftentimes thought about this. We have long... Did you all know that? And yet, everywhere we look at And it bothers me because, you know, like my son and I were talking, it is a drug transition medication, if you will. It's one that it leads to Now, I'm not saying that everyone will, but it is a transition drug. And yet, we have all someone who has been taken in the wrongdoing and they stand before a judge and the judge lets them go with a slap on the wrist. Is that, is that legal? Is that right? Is that the way it should be? And yet someone that commits another crime couldn't even be a crime of murder. Is that right? Is that the way it should be? No, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And so all the in this level of we are 
turn the page yet. Where we find the issues at hand are very simple. We need to be thankful to God for giving us the patience and the peace that only He can distribute. May I point this out to you that our righteousness can come about only there would probably be good. But let's turn to 1 Peter and let's go to chapter 3. And I want us to be reminded of the lens of righteousness that we all have to live by. Let's go to chapter uh, 3 of 1 Peter and let's go to down to verse 12 and look what it says. For the eyes of the Lord are justified us. When it says the just shall live by faith, that means that we have believed on Jesus Christ and we have his blood that made us righteous. He is the justifier and just of them to righteousness. Let's look what it says in, again in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord is true. How many of us have ever done evil? But how many of us have ever thought that the evil that we performed and that we did would bring us to righteousness? Now think about that for a moment. I go back and I think about my own family. My dad had a great love of, of certain things in his life. And yet God had to make those things so terrible that it switched him from being that follower after terrible things, evil things, to a man that would hear the righteousness of God unto righteousness. And if every one of us want to be honest, we can go back to a period of our time to where we see that wickedness that had, had been brought into the world and how that, that wickedness ex was exposed and it showed us our failures and our shortcomings. Now think about this for a moment. I am redeemed because of Christ Jesus. But what made me see Christ? We know that we are partakers of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit has made us partakers. He has revealed to us our need of Christ. Now I want to show you something else that's very interesting. Let's go to the book of Matthew. And I want to show you what his righteousness is doing for us. And I wrote these things down as I did. I know they may seem scattered, but they really do have an essence on them. Did you notice that it says that the Lord hears, and he said, and the eyes of righteousness are upon us because he has made us righteous, but he still cannot tolerate sin. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and let's go down to verse 9. And it says, after this manner, therefore, pray. Now, I want to stop right there. If the Lord can't, if God can't hear us, if God can't look upon sin, how is this possible? It's possible because of the righteousness that we have been made in Jesus Christ. Now, look what it says. Because we have been made righteous, I can call out our Father, my Father. I had a preacher one time saying, whenever we pray in public, we should always have my Father, not our God. And, and there's, a, there's a truth to it. 
because it shows relationship. But when I am by myself, I might say, Father, I'm not worthy to come before you. Father, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. I want to show you, Father, in my own words that I see my iniquity, but praise God, I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. He is you to see just how powerful this really is. In verse 1, and see in the as Jesus is announcing his ministry, he's now in Judea, he's now proclaiming all the truth that is there, and there is so much noise and so much clamor, he cannot tell others about Jesus Christ. How many people does it take to distract us? The other day I had to meet with someone at work, or my boss wanted to meet with me at work. And while we were talking, there were people that were just... And that was enough of a distraction. I lost all, all focus. I, I'm, that's my OCD kicking in, or my, my ADHD. I don't know which one it was. But anyway, I kicked in and I, I lost all attention. But notice that where you have the clamor of the multitudes, you have sin, you have unattentiveness, you have everything. And notice what Jesus did. And seeing the multitudes, comma, he went up into a mountain. Why did he go to the mountain? To get away from the multitude. He had to get away from the people. Understand the English abbreviations or you know, the punctuations. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. In other words, Jesus went up, found his place, and sat down and waited. And who showed up? Those. to your sister. I know who Regina is. I've always known Regina. And I kept looking for Regina. I kept looking for Regina. She never came in. But right behind Dad was his sister. His earthly sister, Cletus. She had come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior during the week and Dad could not wait to introduce her as a child of God to me. That's important. And the reality is when there was that common He was getting away from the noise. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that we got away from the multitudes of this world? I mean, even the clamor. Turn off the cell phones. We can never get away from the world. 
And about the time that I'm trying to get some work, I get a little thing that says, Hey, what are you doing? I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs. Like, that's really going to happen. Where? Can you hurt me? No, I can't. I'm working on this other problem. You give me a list of things to do, and I'll get them done. But when you keep jerking around my chain, I can't do it. The reality is, we don't really give ourselves the time to be still and know that He is God. One of, I remember when I lived in England, I was introduced to a little ditty. And it goes back from the book of Psalms. And it goes, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Don't we need that? And every now and then the pastor would just stand up and he would sing that. And suddenly it was as though the entire congregation just took an account. They are sinners, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and now able to stand in the place of holiness because Christ has made a difference. Turn with me, if you will, also to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We'll go to chapter 6. And going all the way down to verse 14. I know this seems an unusual place for us to begin, but I want you to look at this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? That's a great question. Now, I'm not talking about the marital relationship. But our daily walk, how many of us find that we're always vexed because we want to live righteousness, we want to live righteously in front of other people, and yet we have so many times that people want to curse or whatever. I have a new man that's working with me right now, and he, he said, I am so sorry, i got such a foul tongue. I said, it doesn't bother me any. I said, you got to give an account to God. And he claims to be a believer. I don't judge him. Just because I carry a moniker that says I'm a Baptist minister, we should show respect to God in all things. Look at verse 15. And what accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he with uh, he? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? I come into these doors. And as everyone comes to these doors, you don't know what joy I had. It was funny. Randy and Nancy came down today, and I was down, and I'm still in my pajamas. And uh, they were cleaning up, and I went, Whoa! Which I don't anyway. But can you imagine the embarrassment that would have occurred at that particular moment? Not expecting them to show up, but with all the plans that they had, you know, that would be there. But the reality is, is that I did not worry about them coming in. I always had them dressed properly. But how inappropriate would it be for me to show something of myself of an abased nature to someone else? Do you realize what verse 16 says? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God. I want you to think about this for a moment. So when Randy and Nancy came in, they showed themselves to be part of the temple of God. When Greg and Carla came in, they showed themselves to be a part as a temple of God. When Randy and Brenda came in, they showed themselves to be a part of the temple of God. When Joe, Jamie, and Sister Reva came in, they showed themselves to be a, a part of the, of, of the temple of God. And we have met together not around idols, but in respect to the righteousness that's in God. God cannot look upon evil, but because we are now redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, He can look upon us and He can bestow upon us blessing. Look what else it says. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Now look at this. Look at this really carefully. And God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk in them and I will be Come on, let, let this sink in. You are God's people. And the testimony that you have every day is a testimony for That's not what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 has to say. What else do we have? I have the abilities to proclaim the truth of Christ. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Or excuse me, chapter 10. I said chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 10. Now, we love this passage. And once again, you have the whole area to where that we fellowship and we preach the word of God. And we love verse 9 and 10. Uh, that if the that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at what it says in verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, here comes the problem. And I have faced this over and again with so many people in this world. Now, I want you to get this. Whether you mean to be or not, Everyone that's in this congregation is a testimony. Why, do you know so-and-so? Yes, I do. That's the most vile person I've ever met. Boy, wouldn't that be hard to overcome? And I've had to overcome that with my own testimony to make sure that people see it. But look what happens. And this is, this is almost like the preachers don't understand the power of God under righteousness. Verse 11, For the scripture has said, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Am I ashamed of Jesus Christ? I'm ashamed of me, but I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. The reason that I'm ashamed of me is because I understand as much as I fight against iniquity, I still commit sin. And I keep running back to Christ saying, Forgive me, forgive me. But let me tell you something. He's already given me the power to overcome if I would overcome in Him. That's the power of overcoming. I trust in Him, but I don't want to walk I don't want to feast upon the things that will feed the flesh. Look what else it says. Verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Jew. 
Gentile. In other words, every one of them need to be saved. And there's only one redemption. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. For the same Lord over all... really want to see more people saved by and, and added to this church. And, and I like that idea. But how many of us think if I, redeem, if I see somebody redeemed, I've got to give up my presence in this church. My vote doesn't have near as much input. I disagree with that. I believe it becomes more of a responsibility of us to be teachers so that we can teach them the righteousness of Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful instead of 10 or 20 on the record given an announcement or a motion and an approval, we have 40 or 50? That we have to explain every little detail intricately so that they might understand the truth of God's Word? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I love it. But the reality is, that means, and I, and I said this to the church when I pastored out in California, do you really want to see this church grow? And everybody was like, oh yeah, we want to see this church grow. Then I brought the young people into place. And I asked these young people the same question. Listen to me. I said, how many of you all want to see more people saved and more people added to the church? And one of the older teenagers made this statement. And let me, just, let me tell you what they said. Well, that means... I have to give up a little bit more of my position. I, we don't have nearly the vote or the presence. I said, that's right. If I do my job right, this church should grow numerically. And if I do my job right, they shall be taught the truth of God's word spiritually. And numerically and spiritually means that when we come together as a body, we rejoice over what he has given, not over where we were at. The holiness that is in Christ is found in verse, verse 12 again. For there is no difference in the righteousness between Jews and the great. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now here comes verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that a true verse or not? Many times when I lead someone and they come to know Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, I don't give them a prayer. I don't tell them, now repeat after me and you will be saved. I don't do that. But it's like anything else I want to see, do you want to pray? And, and many times I say, I really don't know how. It's okay. Just pray what's on your heart. And some of the most awkward praying you've ever heard comes from their lips. And normally, this is what they'll say. Lord, I was lost, but thank you for saving me. That's, that's what it's all about. I don't need to hear it. Let me tell you something, folks. Prayer never saved anybody. But prayer is the evidence of something that has changed inside of me. Isn't that the truth? What did Jesus say? 
the apostles who were Jews, they understood very carefully what it was meant, what it meant to pray. And what did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. You know what that means? They didn't even understand how to pray. Or they understood what the word They loved to have their show. But what did the publican do? Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. That is truthful prayer. Look what else it says. How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And here's that really verse 13 and 14 should be one verse together. They're going to pray because they now know. And they're going to know because they really have believed. And they're going to answer that prayer. This is the one thing that a lot of people mess up on. And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? By the way, let me tell you what. I've had so many people come in. Well, it's your job to go and tell others of Christ. Really? That I'm the only one that can go in and win souls? I'm the only one that can go out and tell others of Christ? You know, the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of them that carry the good news. How many of you have feet? How many of you have a voice? How many of you can go out and tell others of Jesus Christ? Then you have a responsibility. First of all, can you embrace that you are truly redeemed? I embrace that I'm truly redeemed. I remember, and every day I grow a little bit more. Every day I try to understand a little bit more about what Christ has done for me. Brother Randy and I were having this discussion. I'm going to show you a couple of verses. How did I come about to understanding that I needed to be redeemed? I want you to see this. Go to, we're going to look at several verses here. But I'd like for you to go to Psalms chapter 110. Let's go down to verse 3. I want you to look at this verse. This is powerful. Psalms chapter 110 verse 3. And it says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of thy youth. In other words, God makes me willing to hear what he has to say to me. Watch this. Also, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This time going to verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's go to verse 2. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If it so, being that we clothed, we shall, be we shall not be found naked. Let's also go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And let's go down to verse 13. This one is the one that I think really makes it happen. For it is... It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Stop there for a moment. Do you know why I'm saved? Do you know why you're saved? Not because God is sitting there and commanding you like a marinette and that he's, he's really causing you to dance. He has brought you willingly into his power and salvation. Look what else it says. In verse 14, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless. I am, a, I am a vessel of God. 
I have been called of God. I am the clay that he has, he has just punched and punched and removed all the impurities and still removing them. And I am a son of God. Look what else it says. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Tell me, the United States of America is not a crooked, perverse nation. And yet, the hope, and who's looking for this? The hope that we have for our country is not in the politicians. I can find blame with Republicans, Democrats, and everyone in between. The hope of America rests on our shoulders. Let others see Christ in us, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So when I am sitting down, and I have watched this with my own children, and they see a difference in me, they want to know, why are you different? I remember many years ago, my, my, my son came up to me, and I don't remember if it was Tony or Jeremy, and they said, Dad, how do you do it? And I said, do what, son? He said, I have watched you your entire life. When other It's not in me. It's in my willingness to be used of Christ. And you all have seen it in your own lives as well. People will reject you, but when they need you, they call to you. Not too long ago, Greg was talking to someone, you know, just outside in his yard. There was some hay that was being delivered. And this one man came up to Greg and he goes, I have cancer. Will you pray for me? They need him now. They may not have needed him. And as a dentist, he has his hands in his people's mouths, and every now and then someone will say, I have terminal cancer. Well, we're going to pray for you. Let me tell you something. You stop and you pray for them right then. Even if it means you're going to pray with them right now. It makes a difference. There's been many times that I've been in people's homes and I'll say, is there anything I can pray with you about before I leave? I, wanna, I have just this much time. I have this much time to leave a testimony. And in that amount of time that I have, I want to use it wisely so they see Christ in me. We're living in a perverse nation and the only hope for this nation is the righteousness of Christ in me and in you and anyone that's redeemed. This is what the world needs. I want to show you just how powerful this is. Last passage. Let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 4. It's amazing to me how that God can take something so, so intense and put it in such few verses and it means every little thing. For instance, in the beginning of John chapter 4, you have how that Jesus did not baptize, but the apostles did, showing baptism and its responsibility was handed by God over to the congregation. 
But I want you to see what happens afterwards. Jesus goes to Samaria. I have to go to Samaria. I must needs go into Samaria. Why? Because there's going to be a... I want you to understand this. This is powerful. And look at verse 25. Well, matter of fact, I want you to go back up just a little bit. Let's go to verse 21. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour And the woman saith unto him, I know, I know. You know, as soon as this woman says, I know, you've got to listen to what she's got to say. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Man, look at what the Lord uses. And he saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Can you imagine this Samaritan woman? This is the first woman that Jesus has declared. Her eyes are opened. An unworthy woman who's had many husbands, who's living with a man now that's not her husband, and the Lord knows all about her. He's more than a prophet. He is more than the world can ever imagine. He is the Christ. And what does she do immediately? I love this. I love this. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man asked, What seekest thou, or what tellest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man. That is the evidence. How many, how many of you will remember back to the day you were saved? How many people did you want to tell? Just a preacher? Just your mom? Just your dad? How many of you wanted to tell everybody? Whether they understood or not, you understood. Man, this has got to be the Christ. Come and see, come, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Isn't this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now I want you to get this. They came to Jesus because this woman who was so embarrassed, so afraid to go out into public because she knew of her sinful past, left it all behind to tell others of Christ. A woman. A woman. And how many times have we heard that women can't tell others of Christ? How many times have we heard that women can't do the work of an evangelist? The word in its purest form is tell others of Christ. 
The disciples came and they tried to beg Jesus to eat. But I love this final testimony. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman that which testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he bowed three there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe. You know what's beautiful? The moment that I get to tell someone about Jesus Christ, and they say, Now we believe. Isn't it good? But look, look, look at the rest of it. Not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. My message means nothing. His message means everything. How is it that someone can come to God with their iniquities exposed? By showing them Christ. Isn't that powerful? Look what else. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What did she say? We know that when Christ comes. What did Jesus say? I am He. What did the Samaritans that also heard say? This is the Christ. No, it doesn't get any better than that. Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. And the beautiful thing is, that is why we can call out unto God the Father and say, I can call. and the Lord's Prayer. I forgive others that I have restored fellowship with the Father because of the righteousness of the blood of Christ that is upon me. How many of us can really believe that? That's what we should believe. And so today, I want you to understand very clearly, God cannot look upon iniquity, but to the redeemed He can look upon. Amen? And amen. Let's pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for the righteousness that you alone give us. And I pray that, Father, that you will bless this message as you have given us to us today. So guide and bless and direct, and we will rejoice in you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, Sister Brenda, if you